we are live. Okay. Uh, welcome to the Sinkers Win podcast. This is not your usual host or host. Uh, this is Dr. Bachman. Uh, for anyone that is uh, been listening to the podcast before, I've been on a few episodes. I help with running this. Um, but you might notice that Samantha is not with us. Uh, that is because uh, she has gone to a better place or at least a different place, residency. I, I'm sure she'll enjoy that. Uh, she, I believe she is moving to Ohio for the Cleveland Clinic uh, experience with, and anyone remember what she did? Wait, internal, internal medicine. medicine. Yes, yeah, sorry, Samantha. <laughs> I knew that. I totally knew that. Um, but uh, today I will be uh, serving as maybe a temporary host until we find a permanent uh, set of hosts to replace, uh, student hosts to replace me. Um, I apologize for all the ums and the lack of organization here. That was really all uh, Samantha and Mitch. So uh, I miss you guys. <laughs> but okay. Uh, but today we're going to talk about a little different of a trend. Uh, for the past couple episodes, we have been going over uh, future uh, uh, for students of M4 matching into specific residencies and their perspective on those residencies. Uh, but now we're going to take a step back from that. Uh, we're going to look at pre-clerkship. Uh, so for the next couple episodes, we're going to look at uh, specific markers and pre-clerkship experience. Uh, this will be particularly salient for uh, NSUMD because this is going to be looking at our curriculum structure, uh, but it is very similar to a lot of other schools. Uh, so we're going to get the, our perspectives from uh, uh, some of our guests today, and they're going to introduce themselves. Uh, the first is an M1, uh, Caitlin, and you go by Katie, correct? Yes. 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 Introduce yourself. Well, my name is Katie, and like Dr. Bachman said, I'm a first-year medical student here, almost a second year, um, and I graduated from UCF in 2017, and then I taught for a few years before applying to medical school and matriculating at NSU. Oh, thank you. And our other guest, uh, I, I think all of you know her pretty well, is one of our professors here. She is now taking over fundamentals as the uh, course director. Uh, she was co-director last year, and now she'd be manning the helm. Uh, please welcome uh, Dr. Wrench, or Dr. Alhavis Wrench. Thank you, Dr. Bachman. My name is uh, Dr. Alhavis Wrench, and I am an assistant professor of medical education, but I have a PhD in microbiology and cell sciences. In addition to that, like Dr. Bachman mentioned, I am taking over as course director for fundamentals, and I do very various activities here with our college, including activities related to diversity. And I also teach other programs within NSU as well. So I'm going to try to do all the check marks uh, with uh, check boxes that uh, Samantha and Mitch used to do. Uh, but so first, uh, uh, Katie, uh, tell me, uh, why, did, why are you in medicine? Why did you want to go into medical school? So I've wanted to be a doctor since I was probably like eight years old. And it started off as just being, I like science, I want to help people, super generic, I know. Um, but over time, like in high school, I was in the medical magnet program, so I was exposed to like clinical rotations. And for the whole four years, we had specific courses like for medicine or students that were interested in the healthcare field. And just working with patients and seeing how physicians interact with patients and what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, it really felt like that was my fit. And then after graduating and teaching for four years, um, I knew I still wanted to go to medical school, but it was just one of those things where I wanted to see if there was something else that would give me that same fulfillment that I felt like medicine would. And although I loved it, it's still, I still didn't feel like that was the place that I was supposed to be. And so 
taking the MCAT, applying to medical school, and I will say through this first year, although stressful, um, I know that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So, so you were a teacher for four years? Yes. Like, what, what kind of teacher? Were you elementary, high school, or college? What, what, what did you teach? I taught high school. Okay. Yeah. Wow. What, what kind of topics? I taught bio, so biology, IB biology, IB, IB. sports exercise, and anatomy and physiology. Um, you don't have to say necessarily, but you, what school did you, if you want to talk? Yeah, what yeah. school? Yeah. I, I taught at Winter Park High School. I'm from Orlando. So, oh, yes, yeah. Yes. So that is where I taught, and that is where I still go back and return, and I just visited my students a couple of weeks ago. So. Oh, wow. Uh, not that this really matters, but I also did the IB program when I was there. I would I didn't go to Winter Park. I could have chosen between there or Cypress Creek. I ended up going to Cypress Creek, but yeah, not not too not different far. path. Yeah, not far. Uh, very interesting. So, uh, how have you found this experience in medical school now, from a teacher's perspective? Now, as a student again, how do you find uh, those differences or challenges? Is it is it odd or is it you know what? what how is that? <laughs> Um, I will say sometimes it's a little odd because I know like the, what should I say, the background behind why you all do what you do with the curriculum. And so like kind of going to like my teacher mind, I'm like, okay, I understand why we're doing this. But then you have the student mind where it's like, yeah, but do I really feel like doing this? I don't know. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, so it's always like a constant battle, but I think because I have a background in education, like I can appreciate a little bit more what you all are doing and like I said understanding why you do what you do especially with fundamentals I imagine that would probably be pretty valuable right so we uh, Dr. Ranch and I like we've had to map and help with a uh, professors that map for the objectives for fundamentals um, but that's something that is as you know exists all the way from elementary school upward it's just not usually something that's shared with students up until this point um, so I don't know. I, I don't think anyone, the viewers want to listen to the, the ebbs and flows of curricular mapping, but that's something you were very familiar with at least, yes. right? Uh, so was uh, the skill of being able to write those, did that translate well to our curriculum or like just being able to utilize those objectives? Was that something that was effective to you or? No. I think it was, especially um, with PBL and us having to write learning objectives. That was the feedback that I always got from facilitators is how well I can write them. And obviously that's because I had to write goals and things like that for my students. Um, and so I think the style of the way that you all write your learning objectives is a little bit different than how we would do it because this is a higher level education versus me, I taught standard level, IB, honors, everyone. Um, but it's it's still all the same process, honestly. Oh, yeah, I definitely would agree. Uh, but okay, so uh, Dr. Ranch, uh, you mentioned, I hope you mentioned, I just remembered, you went to UF for your PhD, correct? Yes, exactly. So how did you get from PhD in microbiology to teaching at Nova Southeastern University? Yes, yeah, so I graduated from the University of Florida with a PhD in microbiology, like I mentioned, and I was always interested in teaching part of the, the profession and listening to research. However, after graduating, I had a little bit of a tough time finding a opportunity for research, and I immediately gravitated towards teaching instead. And since, since graduating, I've been teaching um, various, specifically microbiology, but also other subjects as well. But the idea of teaching for me is uh, very interesting in the sense that I get to connect with students and see their progress. That's what I find the most fascinating, how I can 
provide my knowledge to others and being able to provide that um, knowledge not only for them to learn the material, but for them to be able to apply it in the future. And so going into teaching for me was very fulfilling because I was able to connect with the students that way. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I find similar uh, sentiments with that. I um, Finding research positions was always very challenging and frightening with that. Um, what, I, what I found was uh, particularly d interesting with I mean, a lot of people that go through this career is that it isn't necessarily why they got into the field in the first place. So they were going in maybe for research and it just... Uh, education either they found out they really liked it or it just fell upon their laps because that's the institution uh, emphasizes um, and I, I found it a very uh, challenging transition initially because I went from teaching like 10% to teaching 90% yes. uh, so uh, was that something that it sounded like that's something that just came naturally for you or is that yeah so throughout their graduate program we do have we had to do teaching mm -hmm. basically TAing in the labs and whatnot I also helped with my PIs in their microbiology course and so grading exams and things like that became something that I had to do throughout graduate school and I thought that that was a good way to see how students are learning and Initially, when I started working as a teacher, it, like you mentioned, it was a little bit of a challenge to kind of go from a research perspective to the teaching perspective. But as I went along, I learned different ways to apply that knowledge that I've learned through grad school. And it became something that I found fulfilling. And that's why I stayed within the teaching aspect of my degree. That's great. And you said you were... Are you are you from the South Florida area? Is that why you gravitated to Nova or? Well, I was born and raised in Venezuela and I moved to the United States when I was 16 and I moved throughout different st states um, to different reasons, life reasons. But my family lives down here in South Florida and um, we started having a family. So we gravitated towards being able to uh, grow our family with our with with all of our older families that were here, so cousins and my parents and his parents and everyone. And Nova was um, a university that provided an opportunity for me to be here in South Florida. I definitely commiserate with this. I, I have a question. I, I, I do know from communication that your, your parents run a Venezuelan restaurant. Yes. And I've been meaning to go because uh, it, it gets really nice reviews on Yelp. Anyone uh, listening that's matriculated or at their school, you should check it out. Have you gone? I didn't know that this was a thing. Well, now you know. Yes. Now you know. So <laughs> there's two of them. One of them is in El Doral, and it's called La Coreana. And my family has had this business since I can remember, uh, since I was before I was born. Mm -hmm. My 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 family had had this business. So after moving here, he con my family continued that business, and now it's been open for over 30 years. Oh wow! The other location is in Kissimmee that we was recently opened not too long ago. And so, yeah, I welcome everyone to try it out. Venezuelan food is delicious. I recommend arepas for sure. <laughs> I know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> As I was saying, uh, and I, I actually, I had a theory. Um, this is my personal thought is that like for research, especially like lab based skills, like it's, it's not really about intellect per se, but it, like almost being as good as like, uh, it's like, cooking a lot you know it's recipes yes. but those recipes kind of suck when you first get them you have to modify them you have to make it better your little unique tweaks did you find that to be true did you yes, find yourself very, really good very I true i actually think of make when i cook and if i'm following a recipe i think of it more as a protocol yes that's exactly <laughs> i agree i have the same thing i have a lab notebook that i 
purchase on my own uh, that I use for any recipes and update it accordingly. So you see tweaks with it, iterations, repeat trials. Yeah, yep. so I definitely see recipes as lab protocols. And I, in my head, I'm thinking I'm in my lab doing a project and this is the experiment that I'm doing. And it's exciting to see how that experiment comes out. Not all the time comes out good, but you always try to follow the steps as you would in a protocol. I, f I always found like the yeast lab individuals made the best bread. Uh, they, they really knew how to take care of them. Um, but okay, uh, so well, welcome both of you. Uh, so thank this you. is, oh, thank you uh, for being here. Uh, not everyone actually wants to go on the podcast. Like, you know, you advertise like, hey, you want to be on a podcast? And they're like, sure, okay. Um, I've become one of those people that talks about their podcast, apparently. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so anyway, today's episode, we're talking about fundamentals. Uh, so anyone that is from our school uh, probably shivers anytime you hear the word fundamentals. Uh, it, it, it is somewhat of a rite of passage. I think most schools have something like this now, at least schools that have gone through accreditation in the past 10 years. So I'm talking mostly about MD schools. Um, they might call it foundations or the basic mm -hmm. sciences. Uh, but uh, I guess what's maybe different about fundamentals compared to like maybe other uh, school programs that you've taught in? Uh, so you're microbiologist, but like usually is microbiology taught in the same way as fundamentals or is it like kind of siloed? Yeah, so for other colleges where I've taught microbiology, um, it's a difference is that instead of having a specific subject go on for a specific amount of time we're integrating the different subjects that we have within the basic sciences rather than having biochemistry first and then microbiology and then physiology uh, everything is integrated and so that allows in my opinion the students to really not only integrate their information but really understand why it's important in how the different sciences come together for late for how to apply the information later on in the clinical sciences Definitely. Did you find that the same, uh, Katie? Uh, Katie? Uh, did you, uh, from your perspective coming in, was it uh, completely different than what you experienced with like undergrad or even maybe how you've taught before as well as far as how the material was presented? Yeah, I think it was very different for the exact reasons that Dr. Rinch was just mentioning because, you know, we would have like a few days of biochemistry and then we jump into genetics and then we go back to biochem, whereas for me, my teaching style was the opposite. So you teach all of the biochemistry topics and then you move on to the next and then the next. And that's the same thing with undergrad because in undergrad, you just take a biochemistry course. It's not necessarily that you're taking 11 different topics in one course. So I think that was probably the thing that I struggled with the most with fundamentals. But after fundamentals, I appreciate why you did it that way. Okay. Uh, and we'll get into the after part too. Uh, but I, I always found it, um, I never took something like this in my, our PhD. So we would have like the traditional classes. Uh, we might have ones that are very specific. Um, did you have anything like this, Dr. Ranch? Like no, not at all. Everything was um, discipline-based yes, in like yeah. specific subjects. So taking like enzyme kinetics and pathobiology for infectious diseases and bioinformatics. Everything was the specific subject. There was not integration per se of the different disciplines and i think that's like a striking difference especially to modern uh, md education and with a phd education is that a phd um, i've always explained it as like uh, beginning your phd is like getting um being 
it's like a pimple of knowledge almost. So it's like you have a circle and you, this is your knowledge that you are the outer rim of that. And it's just a little section and you just go in the weeds with that. But for MD, you're looking at very much broad application towards clinical care. Now broad really sells it short because it's still a lot of information, um, but it isn't the same kind of depth that you need to even maybe get in from a undergrad perspective for a specific topic you're looking at very much what's relevant for a health science perspective but that's my thought is that what you felt like uh katie as you went through it or like or was it actually am i completely wrong <laughs> no i i yeah i think i felt that that way as well okay um so fundamentals you get here uh first two weeks is not fundamentals and maybe Depending on how we get this recorded, this might come before or after the PI episode. We'll see. Uh, but assuming PI uh, episode is not airing after, before this. Uh, so professional immersion is essentially like an acclimation week. Could you walk through what your thoughts were on what PI was and what, what you experienced from it? Yeah, for me, I would compare it more to orientation. So getting oriented with the policies of the school, um, different resources that we have, introductions to a bunch of different faculty members and things like that. And then the second week is where we kind of started to talk a little bit more about how the courses are structured. We talked a little bit about fundamentals and I believe we had like our first PBL session, TBL, mm -hmm. yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and so I think PI is like, a good two weeks just to kind of get your feet wet it's a lot of information but it's not really information that you're going to be like tested on so it's a low stress environment so i really appreciate it like having two weeks to just get acclimated with the school get to know my classmates faculty members before jumping into coursework and i think uh, I, you've been part of it as well dr Rand, right like yeah we like last year we did the first uh, hsf uh, session during PI and HSF is human structure and function. That's how we call basically human anatomy and histology in fundamentals. So that's where we start initially in, during PI with HSF specifically. Right. And it is exactly as both of you said is the orientation week. Uh, it's to get you kind of comfortable with everything. Um, I think often, though, what's uh, maybe Dr. Griffin can will express these concerns as well if he's on here, uh, is that students see this kind of as like a, just a, a fun time to hang out and get to know everybody. Um, it's really the, the best time for you to figure out what the rules of the road are. And uh, but sometimes it, uh, I've noticed students kind of you know, maybe figure that out along the way. Uh, maybe not as fun. Um, I like, I usually like having straw dog with, uh, with Samantha being like, Oh, I, you know, I did whatever. No, I'm not calling you out Samantha. If you're still listening to this, uh, but usually she could offer that kind of perspective, but I feel like you're probably one that was like very in tune or aware of like, oh, this is expect yeah. expectations. Yeah. I, I am a very type A person, and so, like, <laughs> if you all give me a syllabus, I am going to read the syllabus. That's good. Which awesome. most people don't, but yeah. I, I, that's just my personality. I'm like, I need to know what everything is, so that way if something happens or, like, I need to know this policy, I already know it. But I, I would say the general population is like, yeah, let's have fun. Let's go explore Fort Lauderdale and Davie and all of that during these two weeks. And that's totally okay. I'm not discouraging you from exploring Davie. Um, we're located in Davie, Florida. If you pay attention to previous episodes, um, if not, just Google it right now. Or not, you probably already have drifted away from this. Um, so, <laughs> or, uh, I was going to say we're edit this out, but eh, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, but 
so yeah, that it is basically acclimation week. So it's like, it's like, oh, this is medical school. It's not too bad. And I, I've heard this from other students say that like, you know, this is going to be fine, and maybe it'll be similar to what I've done before. But then, fundamentals hits. And at yeah. uh, what point uh, did you feel like, wow, this is going to be fun, rough, whatever you want to call it? And it's okay. You can be as honest as you want about this. I can always edit something out i promise i will. i'll try to be as real as possible everyone will be like he just cut all the truth out he hit this no, <laughs> no, I, no i will try not to but when did so when did i realize it was going to be like, i i guess i go? yeah when did you realize this would be just something else i guess i would say i to be realistic i would probably say the second week i think the first week i kind of like chilled a little bit and started to get my feet wet but i think by the second week, I realized that there was a lot of stuff that I needed to know. And I didn't really know how I wanted to organize everything because like you come in, you have like the pals who give you all these third party resources. You have the lectures, the readings, and it's like, okay, well, what do I do with all of this stuff? Like, how do I actually learn it? And then also getting my feet wet with like, do I go to lecture? Do I not go to lecture? That kind of thing, is it for me? And so I would say like the second week is when I was kind of like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, okay, so this is like medical school. Yeah. So I'm actually here. Okay, great. Now let's figure out how do I learn in this environment and what do I need to learn? And so I kind of made like this crazy spreadsheet that took me hours, like maybe like an entire week to make for like all the fundamentals and had all of the resources that everyone gave and then I just kind of picked and choose what I wanted to look at but it got real real quick and you, you kind of touch on something that's uh I think hotly debated in general is the resources that you use mm -hmm. uh so uh we just came from a, a conference IMC hashtag IMC shout out to the yes. IMC we are not sponsored by IMC but if you ever want to sponsor us you know where to call um, but uh, Dr. Wrench, uh, this was kind of, I saw a lot, this a lot about the kind of resources that are used by students, even like faculty lamenting about certain resources, and we can maybe talk about a few of yes. those. Uh, but what are your perspective on the resources? Yeah, so there are various resources that the students tend to rely on. And we also provide students with other resources. Like Katie mentioned, we have pre-reading assignments for each of the sessions, which we definitely recommend everyone to go through because it gives you a perspective of what is this information I'm about to learn. And you come into the, to the lecture or to the TBL with a perspective of the information that you're about to see and it's your first pass of the information. And then when you go into the session, in my opinion, this is where that information is more solidified and it's your second pass of that information. And then later in your independent study time, you can then use other resources to then go through a third pass of that information and including practice questions. That's to know for you to assess, am I learning this information correctly? Do I know the information enough to do well in the course? And so having those resources definitely are helpful, but I always uh, recommend students to look for the resources that the content experts are providing to you specifically. So not to put you on the hot seat, Katie, but mm -hmm. did you read the uh, sign reading? I read them for TBL. Okay, TBL is good, yeah. I read them for TBL, yes. For anyone that doesn't know, TBL is team-based learning. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But yeah, so I read it for TBL, and you're like, and I read it for TBL. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's okay. Um, 
you know, I'm not going to be one of those like old men lamenting about the past or anything like that, but I'm going to do that for a minute. Uh, is that, uh, you know, I have noticed um, much more every year, uh, less and less students really gravitate towards like textbook reading anymore. And, um, you know, depending on who you ask is that is the end of the world or if that is just the times. Uh, whatever you know someone will say tiktok is like only a couple seconds long or something and the attention span and all i'm not going to be that person um that's another episode of course as no uh, but uh i do see that though more and more and i do i I also see it gravitating more towards question based kind of like a um, test or studying style Uh um and that was kind of where i was touching on with that was um things like and boss, which we we are uh, utilizing at our school uh, for question sets, and also things like flashcard based systems like mm-hmm. Anki or Anki. I'm not sure what the right way of saying it. is. It Anki? What yeah. do you think? You say Anki? I say Anki. I I don't know. I'm not with the Anki vibes. Okay. Oh, yeah. good to know. I know it's a it's a Japanese word. So yes. if you know Japanese, if anyone here, reach out um, and tell me if it's Anki or Anki or whatever. I think it's Anki. I, more people say Anki. Yeah, it's, yeah. Anki sounds like, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> like, eh. um, that's also not, I shouldn't, I would probably cut that out now. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to have like two minutes of me saying I should cut something and I'm not going to do it. Um, but okay, so you did you use it right away? Or Anki? Anki, yeah. I did. I tried. Um, I used it religiously for the first exam. Okay. And then I got behind hmm. and then I stopped using it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, do you use it now? Uh, very irregularly. Oh, okay. And by irregularly, I probably mean like once a month. I will pretend like, oh, I'm gonna go back to doing Anki, and then I have like two thousand reviews because they just saw stockpile, and then there's just no mm. way it'll it'll mm. take me eight hours to get. Okay. Them. So you heard it here. Anki is not useful in new medical students, and you will never need it. Now, uh, you, this, that's probably not what so – I'm sure there are some people, if they're, if anyone's listening to this, that are like, wait, what? Like, I, you know. Yeah, the majority of my class religiously uses Anki. Mm-hmm. There are a few of us who it just doesn't – it just doesn't work as well. I think what my plan is is to use it for like step studying because that is a lot of active recall. But I think for me, I couldn't use Anki to learn material because I need to know what it is before I can go back and study it. So I think most listening to this will probably know exactly what Anki is to an intimate level. Uh, even like I've seen it now happening in undergrad. Um, I I was a I forget what campus I was on. I think it was UM recently, and I heard in the undergrad campus just the word get thrown out. It was just like what like what what is this? Like you're trying to do this for, and in in hindsight classes because this did not. Technology didn't exist when in my age. No, I'm just, but like the you know flashcards like this had not gotten to that point. Um, I could see how it might have been useful in some classes like immunology, right, or microbiology, yeah, right. It would be very useful <laughs> like, for those for the short term retention. And I still haven't said like what what is Anki. I don't know either one. Or you you might know them more better. Yeah, Anki is just it's digital flashcards. They use spaced repetition, and spaced repetition is a known way to study mm-hmm. and improve retention. Um, there's like a lot of different settings for Anki, so you can really personalize it to make it like your own. Um, most medical students don't make their own Anki cards. They use like the Anking deck, which is like everything that you supposedly need to know in order to pass your boards. And there's like a whole group of students that make it. 
And so we basically just unsuspend cards based off of whatever it is that we're learning um, in lecture. You know, and that's actually a part that I found most fascinating with this is that it is truly something of modern age because like you can have Anki, which has been around for probably 20 years. But I think that uh, utilitarian kind of resource on Reddit has made it so much more weaponized, oh, yeah. which I say all the time. These are weaponized flashcards because it's like they're definitely. Um, but I've. I've never seen it in a, maybe you have from high school perhaps, but like uh, I've never seen Reddit used so effectively in a educational perspective. So mm -hmm. it was, it's kind of nice in a sense that it's like this resource that's really pulled and vetted by pretty much every US medical school. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of nice things about that. Cons being though, if you have certain schools that have a certain type of curriculum, maybe that's weighing towards that over something else. I don't really know because I don't really use it. Um, any faculty that I've attempted to show how to use Anki, um, there's a lot of hurdles to it, right? Uh, yes. So maybe as a you were as a first, was this the first time you had ever used it? Was medical school or I used it to also study for the MCAT. Oh really? Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Was it effective for MCAT? Um, I would say no, but no? Okay. <laughs> I, I don't think I used it right. I really okay. think for MCAT, I was just like, I'm just going to try to use this thing. And I don't think I really understood what I was doing. There's a there's a few students here. The first time I got familiar with it was actually from uh, former host uh, Mitch. Uh, I think he was the first of that class to really take it on board. And then some of them came on board with it. But I really remember after the second cohort came, he gave a session about Anki. And then it just was... That, that was all they wrote kind of thing. It was just like everywhere. Everyone was, that was every other line was about Anki or, oh, this was an Anki card. And I think I had a phase where I absolutely hated the word, but you know. I, I sometimes hate it too. Cause like, it's like Bible. Like Anki's like, <laughs> like when Bible was a thing, like Anki is Bible in, yeah. in my head. I'm like, no. It, it feels like, and maybe, I don't know, Dr. Rich, have you even heard it being thrown out around anymore? You used to hear all the time, first aid, first aid. And I don't think it's gone away, but th it, it feels like that's the new like buzzword over first aid. Because I, I just don't hear it as much as I used to. Yeah, that's what I've been um, exposed to from my experience. Is Anki is the number one resource that students may use to help them study. Um, I first learned of it in medical school. I've never heard of Anki before. I, I didn't use it in my grad school or undergrad or anything at all. Um, and I, for me, for example, I never studied with flashcards. I used it once and that never worked for me. So I don't find it as useful as well. Were they written flashcards? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's they probably were written in flashcards. So, I'm a very visual person. I thought writing then in the flashcard would help me and then later go through there would help me retain the information. But I used it once. I failed that test. I never used it again. I think I used also written flashcards for my immunology class in uh, undergrad. Uh, no, uh, no, I didn't. No, it would have been, um, it was infectious disease actually. So it was parasitology that I took it uh, for it. it. Had immuno involved. It doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, I tried using them and it took me like hours to make those cards. And then by the end, I was like, oh, I have a couple days to study now. So And, <laughs> I, and I, I can see how useful it can be for students in the sense that they don't use their time to make their own. Mm -hmm. They can use the decks that are available. So it makes it time efficient for them. Um, but sometimes, like you mentioned, like Katie mentioned, being Bible. Yeah. that using it to that extreme that's something that i will recommend students to be careful about and i think that speaks to a lot too and 
we'll still go back to uh, other study resources. I'm curious what else you used because you mentioned for TV at least you read the, the material, yes. but like probably other resources. But first, for any of the lay person, maybe you're, you're a pre-matric coming in or about to matriculate or someone not from this school that some reason listens. If you look at the data, there's there's oddly a large amount of people in like Germany listening to this, but it could be they were just like vacationing M4s. Mm-hmm. So let me know if you are actually from Germany or not, uh, but probably vacationing M4s. That's fine. Um, but anyway, yeah, so what the structure of fundamentals is. So for us, we do a very rapid overview of the basic sciences. We go through that in 12 weeks. And I use this line usually. I used to, uh, for the first four years of our existence, because we're a new medical school, we're almost there for accreditation, um, I oversaw the, the design of it. Um, and for the general purpose of it, it's about 12 weeks with what are higher level undergrad courses or master level courses. Um, there's about 12 to 13 topics. All of those could have been semester long. You have about 12 weeks to go through them all. Um, now they're very focused on like health related, uh, clinical related topics that you can apply later. Um, but this is pretty overwhelming for most students. And I can tell you some general stats with this uh, from the admissions perspective. The average amount of classes that a app- en- entering NSU student has taken that are covered in fundamentals is about five of those 12 to 13. Um, so less than half. So that can be kind of terrifying. Uh, Katie, can you comment on Were there any topics that you had never taken before? Ooh, um, can I get like a refresher on the topic? Anatomy, physio. Oh, she has them. All. Oh, she- yes. Dr. Wrench, you know, see, see this has written all of the topics down. Let's see. Um, I was going to just read them off the top of my head and see how many I got. It's like naming states. I didn't states. think I will remember all of them, so I wrote them down. No, it's exactly like naming states. You get to like the last couple and you're like, ah, what am I missing? And it's always like Vermont or something. Oh, but yes. yeah. But honestly, the I only did not take histology. Oh, so, oh, wow. man. So you were on the higher end with that. That's awesome. Yes. And actually, that's to the benefits of, uh, um, I don't know if you had taken a master's program or you just like were really rigorous in your undergrad. Was that which one of those? Uh, so I didn't do a master's, but I went back to UCF as a non-degree seeking student and those were the options. Excellent. So master's postdoc. Yeah, that's yeah. a, that's excellent. Um, so, you know, to speak kindly to the masters and all that, cause I know Samantha in the past has been like, eh, about master's programs sometimes, uh, RIP Samantha. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I think that they do serve that, uh, opportunity for students and the, the way you did it, I think is actually kind of a, a great route to do it and be cost effective with it. Uh, because like your end goal is the MD, not necessarily having the masters. So if right. you, I mean, if you decide along the way in the masters, you don't like this, I guess you'll have that degree. Um, but just taking those classes are really helpful. Right. Um, and not everyone does that and that's okay. Um, most don't. And you know, it, it can be kind of challenging, but you've never taken histology. We're not super heavy with this though. It's really just like for fundamentals is like an overview um, of the basic histology from different aspects of of that discipline. If you know cells and what those cells look like, you'll probably be pretty good with it. I mean, a little more than that. Don't quote Dr. Buckman on that if you're here. There's a little bit more into it. I just thought I had to be like, that's a circle and that's a square. No, there's a little more than that. Uh, But uh, again, you revisit all that material. Uh, But that's the general topics. Um, Most students, like I said, are 
pretty uh, foreign for most of those. Anatomy and immunology usually are the ones that uh, give the most angst for students. Um, I, Microbiology too. Micro, oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Micro is just, uh, there's a, I, to me, and maybe you can comment on that, uh, Katie, is, um, and you as well, um, but I, immuno is one of those topics that is, um, I always felt like you either got it right away or it took a lot of time to figure it out. But micro is one of those things that's just, it's a dense amount of stuff. Because yes. not surprisingly, there's always new things to discover and they don't stay static, you know? But what, what are your thoughts? What was the most challenging thing as you went through? So you took most of them already, so you had that mm-hmm. perspective. Uh, what, as you were going through, was like, oh, wow, this is taking so much of my time. Micro and farm for the reasons yep. that you said, very, very dense. And I think I took micro and pharmacology at the beginning of undergrad, so oh, it had okay. been a very long time. Um, but the the issue that I had with learning micro and farm is it was a lot of rote memorization because mm. we hadn't done organ systems yet. So a lot of the things that correlate with symptoms and things like that, I didn't really understand outside of this is what happens. And so it was hard for me to remember you know, strep pneumonia causes X, Y, Z, which don't ask me because I don't know right now. But I will before the next test, yes. I was like, isn't pulmonary coming up? I was like, just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in like a week, it's Yeah, fine. you got time. You have time. Um, there's a, probably an Aki card for that. Probably. 100%. Probably. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I hear that a lot. Micro is definitely the bane of most of the students. Uh, anatomy is one I hear quite often. I feel like anatomy comes down to uh, probably two things. If you've never taken it before, it can be kind of a different environment, a learning environment. We do, uh, for those not familiar, uh, pretty much purely a cadaver-based experience. So it's active learning in that sense. You ha- it, The more you come prepared, the more you'll probably be able to ask questions and get something out of that session. Now for fundamentals, it's really just structure and function. So what is this and what does it do kind of thing. You'll apply more as you get into the systems here. Most schools now are gravitating towards something like that. Um, historically, uh, and that it used to be that you, get, you arrive at medical school, and some still do this, and that's what you do for like a month or two months is just anatomy, like that's it. Um, I remember when I got here, that was the initial pitch. And they were like, no, we have to have an integrated curriculum. We can't do it uh, purely in four-week period of time. Um, and I think that's really challenging uh, yeah. because you're, it's a touch base with us. So we have it, the lab reserved every Tuesday. Um, what are your perspectives, uh, Katie, on that? Like, as you went through that anatomy experience, you can be honest. It's okay. Like I said, I'll totally redact this. If it's like, no, don't say that. No, we'll whatever you say, We'll still have time fine. to make changes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. We're coming up on fundamentals, uh, and it's possible for the course director, Dr. Ranch, and the new co-director, Dr. Mashakova, shout out Dr. Mashakova, uh, to make changes based on whatever you say. So it, the entire next class is counting on you. Yeah. Ooh, that's, <laughs> class of 2026, don't, don't come for me. Um, so my perspective on anatomy, um, going in, I remember my faculty advisor was like, oh, you're going to do great with anatomy. You taught it, you took it, you're going to do great. Um, no, cadavers <laughs> are very different than a model mm-hmm. because there's no colors, it's just bland. And so you kind of have to take what you know from the models and the pictures that you see in like the textbooks and translate that over to a cadaver. And I think that is the most challenging part. And so for our fun, for our anatomy, it was kind of, we had the stations and then we'd go, you had to do the pre-readings and then you just try and find the structures on that particular cadaver. Um, I think 
the issues that we had as a class was just if there's no TAs around available, like if they're all helping someone out, you don't really know if you're looking at the right thing. And then there would be times where we'd be at a cadaver, we'd call a TA over, you'd be like, oh, you actually can't see this on this cadaver. You can see it on that other cadaver across the room, so you have to wait. And so it's like, uh, okay, I guess that's cool. Um, so I think what would be helpful is, which is something that they did with the anatomy for organ systems, um, they started incorporating this was having the labels on everything on each of the cadavers mm -hmm. and then having the list of exactly what you can see on that cadaver and then it's like you know you can kind of test yourself see if you know what the numbers are and then flip over and there's your answers kind of a thing um, and I think just having a little bit more guidance that way would have made it a little bit easier for us especially because like I said no one has ever done cadaver um, anatomy until medical school that is totally fair. Um, I'm going to throw it to Dr. Wrench about how are you going to handle that? What yes. are you going to do? So we actually are going to address that concern. <clears throat> we are going to pin some structures in nice. the cadavers and, and still have your structured list. Mm -hmm. But that way you are able to directly find that structure in the cadaver instead of having to wait for the TA. We may, not, we may not be able to ping every single structure that is for that lab's day, mm -hmm. but we are planning to enhance that uh, experience by pinning some of the structures. That is awesome. Class of 2026 is going to be lit. Yep. And, you know. and if you don't think it is, you can just blame Katie. That's all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just email her. Just say, what you, you promised. No, I'm just, um, I will say too that I think that there are, Fundamentals is uh, as a from a course director perspective, it can be really challenging because you you want to challenge the student. You don't want to mm -hmm. spoon feed you. Just be like, here is every single structure. Um, I think you're right. There is a balance there. Uh, there's like especially for some of those cadavers that are not very obvious. Because yes. uh, as you spoke, um, you don't know really what you get with those cadavers when you open them up. Um, typically, the ones that you get donated are older, um, and there can be a lot of um, not normal structure, mm -hmm. which can be absolutely challenging when you have a fundamentals anatomy that's about the normal structure. Right. Uh, so it can it can be very tricky, um, and that's I often chuckle sometimes with that with the students who are like, "But we really want the cadaver based experience," and it's like it's cool, but you have to appreciate that that is going to be infinitely harder than if we were yes. purely a model based system, um, and that's fine. Um, it gives you some experience. It's not really one-to-one -one in my perspective from a human to a embalmed cadaver kind of thing. Or, um, but I'm also not a surgeon, so what do I know? <laughs> Ask Dr. Schwartz. Uh, shout out, Dr. Schwartz. I'm going to just do shout out to live in memory of Mitch and Sam. Shout out to Mitch and Sam. <laughs> but, uh, but what's your thoughts on that? Like, yes, I think with the cadaver experience, the students are able to really emphasize these structures and it's totally different from looking at it from a textbook and, and challenge them to really understand the human, the human structures in the human body. Mm -hmm. And so even though you may not have the normal structure on a cadaver, you're still able to appreciate that structure in a different way, even if it's a disease uh, type of structure. Mm -hmm. And comparing that to a model, because we also have a dry lab, which is based on models, then you're able to really look at basically come together and do okay I saw it in the cadaver and this is how it's gonna look in a model and it gives you a more perspective of where that structure might be found mm -hmm. 
And I think what we'll do maybe in a future episode is have like some anatomists join. Yes, that uh, would be great. And ask yeah. them like what their perspectives are on anatomy and teaching it and the values, pros and cons of models and cadavers and all that. Because like I said, uh, none of us are anatomists, so don't take our word on any of this. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Like, um, and maybe that we could talk about that a bit too. Um, I know I'm jumping all over. I'm talking about the actual curriculum to like other topics and fundamentals. So I'm still going to do that again. Um, is that a court? What is a course director? So you are the course director. I, I was doing that for their initial stint for it. Like in your perspective, Dr. Ranch, and then I'll ask you, Katie, like what is a course director? Yeah. So to me, the course director is someone who brings together and organizes the course. So it com comes in contact with all the faculty that is participating in the course, all the content experts, and you're able to basically enhance the course by coming in contact with all these faculty and organizing what they're gonna be teaching to the students. So that's kind of the overview of what I think the course director is. We organize everything, we run the curriculum, we make sure everything is on time, we make sure the students are being professional and following the policies, uh, but it really what makes the course is the content experts are teaching that curriculum. And you have a little experience in academia, so like you might already have been familiar with hierarchy on this, but uh, what was your thought on like what our role was? Because uh, we were both the, co the course directors for your uh, cohort. What did you think our role was for that? Well, prior to starting, I thought that you were going to be our professors. Hmm. And right. afterwards, I realized, like Dr. Winchie taught some of the micro, so you were like a professor mm -hmm. slash course director, um, but for me, it was y'all were like our point of contact. You graded all of our um, information, um, definitely professionalism. And like Dr. Wrench said, making sure that we were being professionals. Um, but I think it was just more like you all organized everything and made sure that everything ran smoothly. And then the um, content experts or the people that gave us the lectures, they would just come in and give us a lecture and kind of go home. Yeah, my my, the, my egotistical part of it means as I'm like the orchestra conductor, yeah. and they're like, yeah, like that. I have a little slide in the intro to fundamentals for yeah, that. I might still I use, use that. that. Yes. It's good. It's yes. a good yes. metaphor, right? I know. But it's also more like we're like middle men or women and trying to get things to like. No, y'all were like happen. the head honchos. Like, yeah. like I always, that's nice to think. Yeah. I always was like, no, it's it's Dr. Bachman and Dr. Wrench, and then everybody else. That's good. I, I am flattered. Uh, good yes. to know. Um, but and that's possibly too because like with a course is like you have lectures for different topics because we are integrated coming and going, so you don't always see the consistent faces. But the course directors are you see the entire time, mm -hmm. so you know someone to turn to and talk with. Um, and sometimes not always for the most positive reasons. Uh, can, you know we talk about like performance, academic performance. Um, you know, but it, it's all in good intention. But we're also sort of the sometimes the messengers that of news you don't always want to hear um i mean i don't you don't have to speak to your perspective on this um you obviously passed and did well on this course so you're like yeah it was great i don't know but like uh generally from your class perspective do you find that that was something that was really scary or you know so the way it works if you're an incoming student for us but most schools will do this is after we have 
we had three touch points for exams for fundamentals. And after you get to the end of one uh, touch point, there was an opportunity for feedback. So uh, we would reach out to you. You'd see your grades probably the same day we'd release the grades. And then we would message you and say, hey, this is where you currently stand in the class. If you're of concern at any point, then you'd have to meet with us. Um, that was us sending that email, which I appreciate Sometimes my emails look sound scarier than they intend to be because they sound robotic. Maybe I don't know, but uh, maybe they'll get better with Dr. Wrench because uh, who knows? Uh, but my my question though is, uh, how how did your class react to that first batch? So you get your grades, and you're like, oh no, the sky is falling, kind of thing. Uh, what what? How'd that go? Um, I think after the first test. Um, I would say the class was probably a little bit worried okay. um, about like the meeting because nobody really knew what to expect when they mm. were meeting with you. Like, are you going to tell us if you don't get your act together, you're going to kick you out of medical <laughs> school kind of a thing? Like, you know, nobody knew. Um, but I think after the first meeting and like talking to classmates and seeing how that went and how supportive of a meeting it was, mm. I think that made it less stressful in the end. I apologize. My phone's telling me it's two o'clock, and it's not going away. <laughs> That's good to hear. Uh, so um, after that, then was it like less stressful, or was it? Uh, I, um, I think like with any test, you have like that stress, but it wasn't stressful like meeting with you all. Like if you okay. got an email about you have to meet, it was it was like expected. You know what the cutoff is, and then you you meet, you talk, and keep it moving. And I think sometimes the perception, especially in fundamentals, is their appreciation that, like, uh, unless you were at a school that was pass-fail, um, the game has changed a lot uh, because you're no longer this worried about, I have to get a 90% or if you're an A-plus school, like 94% or whatever it was, um, you need to pass. We're a pass-fail school. Um, and we also, part of the examinations we give, and often the one that uh, I think we see students the most for, um, not always, there's other things, uh, is the MBME, customized MBME exam. So we pull retired questions from the MBME that map to our exam, I mean, our sessions. Um, but those are really hard questions. Uh, and for those that don't know or haven't taken the step one exam, the passing score for a step one exam is in the 60%, like 68%, I think is the number. Um, us as a school, we intentionally put our pass mark for a course around 75%. So 75% is pretty much all pre-clerkship um, to be well above that number. So we wanted to say with confidence, like if you're passing your courses, um, then you are most likely on track to do well uh, with your step one exam, uh, at least pass your step one right. exam. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure where I was going with that. Oh, it, generally speaking, though, uh, students are do freak out when they see like, yeah. I got a 82%. That must be bad. No, actually, for an MBM exam, that's pretty Very good. good. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess another concern I, I hear a lot with students, and maybe you can echo it, but also uh, maybe I'll help Dr. Renter explain the process, is like, are, how do we know these questions are fair or vetted? Because the MBME doesn't let us re release those questions. They're secure questions. They have to be confidential. But uh, we do still go through a pretty heavy vetting process that I'm sure you're at least in the pre part of that. Yes, uh, we're in the process of picking the meeting with the faculty members and picking those questions. So the way that it works is we have a bank of questions uh, and we meet with the content experts to for them to pick those questions. So we 
are in the process of looking at those questions, but the content experts are the actually the ones that are picking those questions because they're the ones who are teaching the content. We're just there to organize it. Um, and we are going to look at those questions based on their learning objectives for those sessions, and these are directly mapped to it. So that gives you the opportunity to really focus on the learning objectives for that session, and it guides you to where you need to go with that for your studies. And so we base all of our assessments on our learning objectives of the course in specific sessions, and that helps us to guide us through what the content experts are gonna pick questions on. And we basically just put the exam together, but we don't pick those questions. Uh, yeah, that's, that pretty much sums it up really well. That's like the pre-part. So we have a bank. Um, we also try to like, uh, we blueprint out as much as possible. So it's an equal representation where it should be. So it's not like you're gonna have one session that's an hour long and there's gonna be like 50 questions on a 75 or 100 question exam. Like that's not how it will go. Um, otherwise, like my iron biology things are just gonna be the entire exam, right? Nope. She promised me that it would be like <laughs> at least 25 questions just on iron, but um, I don't think it's gonna happen. It's not happening, do not study no, that way. No, Please do not, not study happen. that way. <laughs> like, it is not uh, going to happen that way. <laughs> well, there's probably a lot of iron and blood-related things in heme, right? Yes. yes probably yes. heme, but uh, not, maybe not too many things in uh, fundamentals. Uh, some things. Who knows? I'm being intentionally vague because I'm not going to give anything away. But after the fact, um, we also look through that. So we have an exam review committee uh, that we, as a group, go through. And we go through those really intense. Uh, so I oversee that from my new role. Um, I kind of did it ad hoc anyway beforehand. Uh, but we look at those exams, we get really specifics on the percentage breakdown and how the students are doing. Discrimination score, so that's like um, discrimination score. Well, you're a, a teacher, so you probably know, Katie. But like mm -hmm. for those listening, that essentially is a number that shows uh, the higher that number is uh, from a negative one to a one scale. So above zero to one, the closer it is to one, the better that question is as far as saying uh, determining a high-performing student versus a low-performing student. So one doesn't mean that everyone did well. In fact, maybe the contrary. It just means that um, this is a good question, essentially. It asks what it needed to ask. Students that did well in this exam understood it and did well. Um, versus negative one would be uh, for whatever reason, the students that did poor on this exam, something resonated with this question. It's usually rare to see it that low. Um, the only time that is, is like, uh, lecture is optional for our school. So if you don't go to lecture and you see a question, hopefully no professor does this. I don't think I've ever seen it. But you know, an example would be like, oh, it's this question is on the exam, I think. And then suddenly two people that show up for a lecture, please show up to the lectures if you can. They're great lectures, yes. especially mine. But. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, that might be a, a reason. But if that were the case, though, and that come, like, is a situation where it biased a certain group, well, we throw those questions out. Mm -hmm. um, same goes with um, any question we look at that looked good the first pass, um, if for whatever reason it was low performance. Uh, you know, we it's like a detective work sometimes with it because like, we go, why did students pick that question or that answer choice? And they look it up and, you know, there's always sometimes there there's valid reasons to throw it out. It uh, could be like a micro is what I'm thinking is like mm -hmm. if there's suddenly while that was a good retired question, suddenly something came to light and now we can't. So um, as a, a purely vague uh, allegory, because it doesn't really help, um, is if you had an alternate choice to something that was like flu related and, you know, the answer is flu, but then one of the alternate choices is COVID. Yeah. Well, once upon a time, that was a silly choice to pick. Right. But right. now. Right now. <laughs> yeah. So. 
things change. Um, usually NVMe though is really good at filtering those out and much to our dismay sometimes because we have these ongoing banks and every year they purge them and <laughs> we lose some, then we have to look for the new ones that come out. Um, but keep doing what you do, NVMe. It, it very much helps us and uh, validates us. Um, but my second, I, I've been talking too long. So my quite, last question with the NVMe though is, um, do you like having them? Like, oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, we initially, uh, Samantha, RIP, is not here, but she actually went through the first cohort where we didn't use MBME questions for fundamentals. We had internal questions. Uh, they, they weren't as big of fans about those, um, yeah. you know? So I think like a lot of feedback we got from it was, um, well, how do we know that these are MBME style? Mm -hmm. um, funny enough, um, that was our first run. Um, I can say in hindsight, they were fairly close to NVMe questions, but okay. there weren't like the perception of them. Uh, that's one of the reason I do like that these are step-based questions is mm -hmm. it kind of gets that validation and also gives the historic data from it. Because right. as a new medical school, we didn't have any historic data because I, I could see how other schools might have test banks that they've been running since the 50s. And those are maybe really validated because they have tons of sample size for it, but we never, we didn't have that. Um, but when we switched to NVMe, there was a lot, there was an uptick in positivity towards that. So I'm glad to hear uh, that is generally the same perception. Um, and do you have any messages before we move away from NVMe to s upcoming students about how to appreciate them or not appreciate them or whatever you want? Um, definitely appreciate it because it's all, I mean, they were all questions that were on steps. So basically every time you take a multiple choice exam, it's like you're taking a baby step. Um, biggest advice that I could give for fundamentals and just in general for NBME exams that your school puts on. Um, when you look at third-party resources and question banks like AMBOSS, UWorld, USMLE, RX, those are specific for step one. And so they're going to harp on the high-yield, quote-unquote, high-yield materials because that's their target audience, right? But if you're taking a course where you're only going over, you know, one or two organ systems or a few subjects, you're going to have a lot of quote unquote low yield questions on your test. And so you have to be careful. And I'm still learning this like even now is that the question banks are good. But just remember, don't forget all of that lecture or learning objectives that are given to you because your test is still based off of that. Yes. For instance, for CPR, cardiovascular, there's a lot of questions about heart attacks. There's like 45 questions about heart attacks for USMLERX. You still gotta know all the other stuff. You're not gonna pass if you just know about heart attacks. So just be careful and just make sure that even though these are great resources that you're still going back to the content that is provided for you by your school. Yeah, I think that's a, is excellent advice. Yeah. Um, because uh, yeah, as you said, we're teaching the fundamentals, so we're only going to ask the fundamentals questions, mm -hmm. which maybe is only 15% or so of your exam. It varies every year. Um, but you have to think that, okay, so you might have had a couple hundred question exam where 15% of it was fundamentals. Uh, but now you're going to have a hundred question exam where all of it is fundamentals. So you're stretching that 15%. Right. So the odds of something that is still game, as far as MBME goes, showing up even if it was very slim odds on the step exam is still pretty high here. Right, exactly. uh, so it's important to consider that you do need to know all that. Um, and the reason we you know, assess any of that is that, you know, it will be important for you to apply in clinical care and maybe your future uh, systems courses first. Um, 
by you know, it's not just for the standardized exam, but it's to get you there. But you need to be able to apply that material as well. But okay, that's the MBME exam. Uh, what else should we talk about for fundamentals? Other things that were concerning? Um, I'm interested to know from Katie. She mentioned that she studied one way for the first exam and differently from the second exam. How was that process for you to, to understand how to best prepare for these exams? Um, well, I think, what did I do for the first? So we talked about Anki using that. Um, I did some of the lecture readings at the beginning for just general lectures. And the reason why I stopped is because the way that they are presented like in the ebook format, it just is difficult to read. Um, and that's just like a personal thing. Like I'm a very visual person, so I need videos. And actually Dr. Bachman had mentioned early in Fundamentals or PI that Lecturio had like that bookmark feature yeah, and a lot yeah. of our textbooks um, correlate with the videos on Lecturio. And so what I did was I watched Lecturio. And so RIP Lecturio. I was going to say, we, we don't currently have that anymore, but you can yes. use other videos similar to Lecturio. Yes. Watch, everyone's going to want Lecturio now. But. I mean, <laughs> I, I actually bought it. So oh, okay. yeah, okay. because I was, before getting off the wait list here, I was going to another school and they didn't oh. have it. And yeah. I felt like it would be a good thing. So when you guys took it away, I was like, Thank God I bought it. Oh, okay. It. But yeah, so I did a lot of Lecturio videos. Um, and I think I tried to watch like Boards and Beyond and things like that. But mm -hmm. like you said, Fundamentals is such a small component of the overall like step one experience that it was very difficult to find videos where it wasn't going like super in depth and talking about things that we hadn't learned about. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for the second test, like we said, got rid of Anki because it was just a little bit too overwhelming. Um, and then I focused more on practice questions. And so I used, I think it was called Exam Masters, the yes. one that the Yeah, gives. I've heard of that, yeah. So I used that and then I used USMLE, RX, and AMBOSS. Excellent. And I think something, uh, usually we have like two students though they can like do the tit for tat kind of thing, but uh, usually, and I think we're gonna have you back to do Anki, because it's interesting, you haven't done Anki, but I'm pretty sure I could just pick a random student in your class and they yes, probably yes. are in love with Anki. Yes. Uh, just find the one that probably has a t-shirt of it or something. I, do they sell, probably not. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that maybe in another episode and learning styles in general. Um, but uh, I'm, there's something I think is worth telling anyone that's listening, especially a new student coming in, is you, know, you will likely need to change your study style. Mm -hmm. uh, and you had commented on this, you adjusted how you were studying. Um, have you found that it's like stabilized as you've since left fundamentals or? You know? Yeah, I think um, I've kind of formulated like how I want to study. Mm -hmm. There's still fine tuning because like for instance, for the current block that we're in, it's very physio heavy. And so mm -hmm. I need to draw things out, which is something that I did not do for any of the other blocks. So there's a little bit of fine tuning, um, but I will say definitely with each of the fundamentals exams, there was some major change that I made and whether or not there is improvement, I mean, that's neither here nor there, but <laughs> It, it still worked, yeah. you know, and I just had to figure out what worked for me and what was the most efficient in terms of my time. That makes sense. Yeah. I was going to mention that I think for students coming in, that's the hardest part of figuring out how to best study for fundamentals. It's the scariest part, right? Yes. Right. And we may provide advice on how to do it, but everybody learns differently. 
And so it may not work. One way of study may not work for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so it's more of a trial and error for everybody to try different studies techniques and figure out what works best for them. It may not work the first try, and then you have to adjust and try other techniques until you find what really works for you. Mm -hmm. I've often, often seen with students that I've met with, like for after exam one or whatever it might be, is that there's this fear of the change. Uh, so it's like, I'm in too deep. I just need to keep on going with what I have because at least I have a certain number. And that almost always doesn't pay off. Mm -hmm. um, it, and that's, I can see how that would be very terrifying for a student that I just performed, maybe not the best I'd like to on the first exam. I'm uh, being told I need to completely upend my study st style and we've already started moving on into the new material and there's only an exam in like three weeks. That sounds very scary, um, but it is something I've seen time and time again really reward students that do that. Um, and honestly, staying in a, the same kind of study style, if it works, that's great. Uh, keep going with it. Um, but. I can also say to that one too that I've seen anecdotally from students that say, "Hey, it really worked for fundamentals. Maybe it's because like a situation like it may be for you, uh, where you know you had all these courses before, or they had taken them a lot over and over, or whatever it might be. Maybe they did something else and they taught in a medical school or something like that, um, and it worked really great for fundamentals uh, because they had all that content. But when they move in the systems, it was new material for them, and suddenly then they had to adjust." Um, so just always keep that in mind that, you know, fundamentals is mo majority of the students is when they're going to like come to terms with a, how they have to study in general for medical school, but it might not be the only place. And you also have to think of it too as a career development. And that's actually the big thing about anything with medical school is career development. So learning how to study differently will help you forever because you have to take board exams your entire life until you don't want to you know you just wanted to retire or whatever but that's a good 40 30 or 40 50 years right i don't know yeah. everyone's living until like 90s now so yeah, and so some students may have resistance into those trying new mm. techniques for mm -hmm. studying they might have done very well in undergrad with the study style that they had but when you come into medical school, that may not be the case. Mm -hmm. And so you always be open to the change and for trying new things that work best for you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if, if something didn't work, then you don't have to use it, even if everyone else uses it. Like you, you decided Anki wasn't for you. That was, that was great. You, mm -hmm. you looked at how, what worked for you and what didn't and said, no, this isn't going to be effective. But don't necessarily give in to that peer pressure because I've seen it before where everyone's like, everyone else is doing Anki, so that must be the right thing. You got to find what works for you as a, a person, as a studier, uh, because not everyone has exactly the same study styles. Um, I don't think anyone has exactly the same study style. And it's um, the same yeah. thing with resources, like, because mm -hmm. there's, what, 500 different resources that have the yeah. same information. And so... <laughs> You know, you might be using osmosis for mm -hmm. one block, and I love osmosis. Osmosis used to sponsor me and send me free things because um, <laughs> I do rave about you all the time. But, you know, like Boards and Beyond, that was like the big one, and everyone's like, you have to watch all the Boards and Beyond videos. And then, like, our class, like, we would watch them, and then we'd be like, you know what? Actually, he didn't really cover it that well. Like, this particular video didn't really help. For me. Yeah. So then going to another resource that might not be as popular, like physio is hmm. gaining some traction in our class, especially in the organ systems. And so that's kind of like a, a newer thing where it's like, okay, well, maybe this 
tried and true resource doesn't work as well for me. So maybe I just need to use something else and spend my money elsewhere. Same with Sketchy. Um, yes, I was about to ask <laughs> you yeah, that. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Sketchy. Um, it's not my favorite. I feel like I'm like just destroying everything that everybody knows about medical well, school right now. This has actually been delightful. I was like, I was wondering how much back and forth it'd be about, oh, I think this or I think you're just like, yeah, I agree with you all. But it's like for podcasting, I was like, um, well, what else are we talking about now? Everyone in agreement? Uh, but well, we have an empty chair here. R.I.P. Samantha. But uh, that wait, we, we, I don't know. She you. probably would have agreed with you on almost all yeah. of this, though. Yeah, she had very similar kind of prospects and she had come in with, I think, a similar uh, level and fundamentals. So I think she would probably be on the same page. Um, Mitch would have probably been like, Back yeah, and forth. I know but, Mitch was like big with Anki, yeah. clearly. So, yeah, there would have been back and forth there. But um, I think, uh, where was I going with that? Uh, oh, okay. So what is uh, Sketchy? Sketchy is a tool used to memorize micro facts, pharmacology facts. Uh, Sketchy has now branched out. So now they do physio, they do pathology, they do anatomy, they do everything. Um, and it's basically like they give you a sketch or a story and it's memory mnemonics in order to memorize all of the facts about these different topics. Is it helpful for, I would say the majority or maybe like the silent minority, the silent majority, I don't know. Um, probably, I think for me, the issue that I had with Sketchy is I didn't understand enough to correlate this like this random orange expo marker means that it's diplococci or something like it, it's not like it's something where it makes sense what the memory mnemonic is all the time sometimes they do sometimes they don't and so for me i just i just have to know like the background i need to know everything before i can start memorizing and some people do that and then go to sketchy and i think that's probably the most beneficial way to use it but then there are others that just start with Sketchy and just memorize it that way. So, I remember the first time I saw it was with a charter class. I was facilitating a PBL with them, and I was just—they were talking about it, and I was like, "I'd like to see one because I had not seen one at that point." Me neither. Um, and it was weird for me because uh, it was like it walked through. It was basically describing a baseball game, but like with mm -hmm. a micro, some certain bug I forgot which one, uh, as an example. And I just, I don't, I was like, I don't know how that works for you. That's cool if it does. But I, I describe it to anyone that a faculty member that's like, what sketchy is like highlights magazines come alive because it's just like these very yes. graphic cartoons and they look goofy and they're just scenarios that make no sense. But like you said, they like build hooks into understanding and. If it works for you, cool, but I, don't, I didn't really get it. But. Yeah, so I got my PhD in microbiology without Sketchy. Imagine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you... Uh, how did you do that? Ooh, like, that, like that, how? That's actually a fascinating question. Do you think microbiology PhD students use Sketchy? Hmm. I think maybe by now they, they do because hmm. it's a resource that might be out there, but I didn't know it existed. I don't know if it existed when I went to grad school many Pro years ago. <laughs> I, it definitely didn't exist for me. I would, yeah. yeah like, and so I think Sketchy can be useful, but you have to be cautious on how you use it mm -hmm. because it is rogue memorization. And for fundamentals and for all, all the other system courses in our college, you are applying the information in a lot of these MBME style questions. Mm -hmm. And so the, mem the memorization may not 
be in your favor if you don't understand the material well enough. And so I think for microbiology specifically, I would suggest for the students to read the pre-reading assignments and go to the lectures. And then you may be able to use Sketchy to help you remember some of this information, but not use it as your sole source, mm -hmm. as a so sole resource for studying microbiology or, or the other subjects. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, resources you can use, uh, but use what makes sense for you um i always worried about i hear it almost every year so hopefully maybe it's let a little, little dwindle away it seems like it is but like i know at the end the beginning of all the micro sessions there was like this urban legend that all you have to do is look at every sketchy mm -hmm. micro and you'll pass the mbme exam mm -hmm. for sketchy i'm like don't do it we don't cover all that and it never has worked for anyone nope. and i can say from, I'm not going to call anyone out for it, but I will say I've had students, they'll say, I'm doing that. And then they see me afterwards because they did poorly. And they're like, yeah, that didn't work. But then proceed to give the same advice to the uh -huh, next batch. Uh -huh. And I was like, what? Like, I, I, I did try it. I did. I did. Because that was what yeah. everyone said to do. Yeah. And I think it was like my score was good on the first one. And it definitely dropped on the second exam. And I think it speaks to a little bit as well as uh, it's good to take the advice um, from upperclassmen because they've mm -hmm. been through it but it's also important to appreciate as a new medical school we really do heavily value your opinions and like we change appropriately mm -hmm. uh, based on what you said as long as we you know it's practical like uh, you get a comment and be like just get rid of fundamentals i'm like yeah we're not doing that but uh what we can change so you know we were the first iteration with the charter class the micro we taught was i think a little more on the path side uh, and then uh, from their feedback we pulled away from that um, and by the third iteration, and definitely your iteration, we had gone very much just back to basic with micro. We felt like the micro could be fully covered there, just the bugs, and then talk about related drugs with that, and then go into the pathology much more deeper into the systems. And I think that's been a little more effective of a strategy. Um, still overwhelming material, uh, but it's, it's certainly something where it's a little different. And I think that may be where that legend comes from, is that maybe it's effective for the micro path. But that's a guess. Right. Samantha's not here for me to verify that. But I don't think she used it anyway. But what are your thoughts? No, I definitely agree. Um, I taught in the, in the beginnings of the course, and we emphasize a little bit more of pat the pathophysiology. And in the newer iterations, we have not emphasized that as much. It's just the basic of the organism and what kind of diseases can they cause without going into the de details of how is it doing it and what is the old reasoning behind that we focus more on the organism itself and the virulence factors that it has and how they may cause a disease we also go into the details of you know basic microbiology then what the cells look like the gram staining the genetics of the bacteria and different topics like that without going into much much details throughout them so really basic micro microbiology microbiology itself is very dense discipline so even going into the basics is still a lot um, but it's, that's just what the science of microbiology yeah. is so let's move to uh 
I think most students do appreciate it, but I think it can get lost sometimes with medical knowledge. We literally talked about the medical knowledge material for probably an hour already. Uh, However, uh, for those that are not familiar with medical schools in general, uh, we really are competency-based assessed. This is a new thing that's happening with uh, about 10 years or so. It's happened with medical schools where it's more competency-based assessments that rather than just grades or letter grades or pass fail um and we have nine competencies i'm not going to try to show say them all but they all have to do with items that we hope as a school we expect as a school not hope that'd be bad uh that by the time you graduate you are competent in those skills and some of them are really obvious medical knowledge so that's just being able to take uh, you know understand the basic sciences the clinical sciences and apply it effectively which sometimes just comes down to a standardized exam but other ways as well um, patient care, you know, making sure, obviously, you know how to care for that patient, at least for what we expect for a medical student graduating. Uh, but there's ones that maybe don't get as much attention. And we grade four in fundamentals. Uh, so we'll talk about those and maybe your perspectives on how those were assessed. So medical knowledge, we've talked ad nauseum about. The other three are interpersonal skills and communication. So boilerplate is how well you communicate your knowledge and interact with the team. Um, and then what else we do? PBLI, uh, which is not problem-based. It's no. practice-based learning improvement, which always did my head end because we had both of them. And I was like, they, it seems like they inter- whoever, the creator wanted to be problematic with it. That is essentially like critical thinking skills, right? So mm-hmm. again, we use it mostly in PBL in our courses um, for assessment, but essentially like how you're applying, how you're thinking about the questions, how you're answering them in a um, in a number of different lights. Some of it is based on like, are you considering the patient holistically based on demographics or anything like that? But also just, are you asking the right questions? Are you comfortable asking questions? And then the final one, which is definitely not controversial at all in fundamentals, no, not is all. ethics uh, and professionalism, oh boy. which is as it sounds, how professional you are uh, interacting with and the line for the educational program objective is patients and faculty but also just generally you as a person developing your professional identity um, so that can be something that's hard for a lot of students to grasp um, initially because you know you think about ethics and professional and you're probably thinking about it and how you interact with a patient not mm-hmm. necessarily like how you're interacting in a tbl setting or right. like in a lecture hall um but those are really early touch points but i would love to hear let's go down the list uh, maybe let's talk about interpersonal skills and communication in pbli first we'll group them together probably less controversial and then we'll talk about ethics and professionalism because that one's the thick one yeah Yeah. so how about interpersonal skills and communication pbl is there what were your perspectives of them of them um as in like did you feel pressured about that or like i don't know how i'm getting assessed or for most students it's like "Eh, it was fine i just did i I was myself yeah, Yeah. yeah that's pretty much what it is i mean i think as long as you're you know being a good human exactly yeah talking to you and actually like interacting with your group because that that could be an issue if Mm -hmm. you're like the person in the group that doesn't ever contribute or um, maybe you're doing Anki during sessions and things like that so that that can be an issue but I think for the most part I did not have any negative or bad experiences with those competencies I think that's pretty fair for most students Um, I think we have um, 
we've gone into a little bit during the session. We have a hybrid curriculum where we use PBL, we have lecture, we have TBL, as we mentioned. Um, and I think a lot of times for a course director, how we kind of see these come to light is in our PBL activities, sometimes with TBL, but it's, it's all of you in one room. So mm -hmm. not everyone's going to be able to talk every time because there's right. 50, one of you. So it's like, it's hard to say, well, were they talking or not talking or are they talking? But like, uh, for PBL though, you have a facilitator and there's usually seven to one of you. And it's usually pretty good for them to be able to observe that, um, for a lot of for students entering into our program or in general, that's usually where we derive a lot of that assessment from. You get written feedback and um, you get verbal feedback every time you have a PBL session. Um, and you go from that. Uh, so Dr. Rancho, you are course director, but you've also been a PBL facilitator. Yes. How do you go about looking at assessing ISE and even PBLI? Yeah, so we make sure that the students are contributing to the discussions and that they are being also professional in the interactions that they have with each other. And in during PBL, the key component is that everybody is actively engaged. And so if the students are not contributing, if they are not um, doing well with their presentations, they're not providing feedback to their group. Those are some of the things that we look at to assess um, those competencies. And as a PBL facilitator, we really emphasize those interactions and are the students critical thinking about the topics that they are discussing? Are they actually coming up with questions on their own to further enhance their learning? So, so those are some of the things that a facilitator always look at. I've heard it from M3, M4 students, um, you know, when they get to the clerkship experience that they really have found that that PBL time has set them up to be succeed uh, because it, they've gotten constant every week uh, expectations that they have to interact with this group um i'm hopefully everyone is friends in your gr uh, class but like i'm sure there's ones that you're like i don't vibe as well as this person and all that but at some point you're going to work with every one of those students so you have to learn how to communicate with ones that you're really effective with and ones that maybe have opposite styles of study at, in at every form uh so it gives you a chance to encounter that in a small scale so that when you get into your clerkship uh, you can hit the ground running in that sense. And we've heard that the same feedback from our clerkship directors, uh, from residents that work with our students and attendings, uh, that our students are really good at communicating. And knowing, and also, and that's the PBLI point, is knowing to say when you don't know something, mm -hmm. like ask for help and how to go about doing it. So it's a two-step thing. One is, you know, you know, I don't know this, and then you seek to understand that. And that's the idea uh, for all these projects, and that's what we're looking for. And if you're doing these, and, and fundamentals, we're not expecting you to be a whiz at that at this point. Some some just naturally are inclined to, but that's okay. That's something you can adapt and grow from. As long as you're taking our feedback, you'll, you'll be fine with those competencies. Right. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, so those are those. Uh, I don't, they're usually not that controversial. You know? no, no, <laughs> not really. Yeah, it's just it is kind of what you would do anyway. It's just kind of putting words to it. Right. Um, but the one that I know is controversial is ethics and professionalism. And, you know, you know, let's talk about it. So what is your perspective when you came into fundamentals or even PI? Maybe that's the first wave of it you got from, you know, I think day one, Dean Pritchett's like, here's the rules and this yes, is what we expect yes, from you. Yes. But and it's like put the, the fear of God into everybody. Um, he's. He's ramped up back a bit, not, not calling Dean Pritchett out. I mean, he's great. But like I, I remember like the first, uh, I think it was the second cohort. He's like, I'm going to be like, 
really strong. And I think he's just scared everyone the first day. That. And he was like, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'll roll Scale back. back yeah. But I, we love you, Dean Pritchett. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you out. But um, anyway, what was your thoughts of it coming in? And then once you hit fundamentals, uh, how do you react to it as it went through? So coming in, the Dean Pritchett speech, um, the biggest thing was the pair form. Mm-hmm. And my the way that it was presented was like, if you get a pair form, at least my interpretation is probably not what he said. It 100% isn't. But my interpretation was like pair form, you get one and that's like a big deal. Like you've done something very bad. Like we're going to, you know, you get another, we're going to have to talk to you. The third, like I just was scared mm-hmm. of getting a pair form. And so going into fundamentals, I got a pair for him. I did get, I got two, I think. Yeah, I got two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the first one really, really freaked me out. And I was like, wait, I, I'm not, I'm not unprofessional. Why, why is this? And then I saw the reason I'm like, I don't even remember doing this. Like, what is this? I don't know. Like, it was it was very stressful, and a lot of us did get pair forms. And yeah, then yeah. I remember having a conversation with student affairs and asking, like, can I get another explanation of what this means? And that was when it was explained that, you know, this is just something that we kind of monitor. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a reprimand unless this is like a constant issue. We just want to know like if you're just constantly getting paraforms, then that's going to be the issue. But if you get one or two or even three, we're we're not going to call you and text you and be like, come see me at the office. It's just literally a monitoring tool. Yep. And that that's all that paraform is. Um, Yeah, I think it's always like the first day of a PI when you hear about all the professionals and you're like, oh man, I want to be like, you know, perfect the entire way. There's no way I can do anything. And then as you get like a slight thing and it's like, ah, it's a fall apart. And that happens pretty much every year in fundamentals is that, that realization of, oh yeah, these things matter. Um, but it's also you're human. So it's right. okay that they happen. But the fundamentals is particularly challenging because I, we don't know any of you. Like, right. so we don't know if that's like a one-time thing, you know, things happen. Or it's like, there's like 20 more of those down the road exactly. and I don't know yet. And even more to the reason why we use a paraform system uh, like that. And I think it's professionalism, oh, Accolade. man. accolades, and something with incident incident report there we go Woo, we (laughs) got it um so remember the a is accolade so it's also for good things uh so those are usually used more not they're probably not as uh frequent as like the the minor professionalism violations but those are really valuable so you get one of those and that will go far Mm go on your mspe your dean's letter um so those are always good things but make sure not to encourage students just to hand them out like candy to each other, but right. like just like they make sure they're like salient, but they are certainly uh, something to, that we keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, but for paraforms, uh, what what did we look for, Dr. Renge, and for paraforms? Yeah, so the major topics that we look at or the major incidents we look at is are you being late to, to those sessions? Yeah. Are you turning in assignments late? Um, those are w- some of the reasons why we give out more paraforms mm-hmm. overall. Uh, this year we had, because of COVID mandates, mm-hmm. we had mask policies that needed to be followed. And so that increased the number of performs that we had to give. And are you following the rules that you're supposed to be following throughout all of the sessions? So not only being late and turning in assignments, but are you being professional in the sense of um, are you being having respect towards the faculty member? Mm-hmm. and 
are you following again the guidelines that are set up of open you to for the school itself so some so those are some of the items that we look at and really the reason we do that is um we're looking at these uh tangible things really because we never want to i always want to be very conscious that i'm not like uh, i don't present any certain bias towards anything or i'm in reading into too much of something so i'm very hesitant on even like uh you know the professionalism as far as like uh, disrespect goes because you never really know if it's just like you know especially with a mask like, right. and it's like you don't know if like is it eh, or is it like you're smiling and it's like eh, or i don't know <laughs> yeah. maybe the sun's in your eye i don't know so i'm very hesitant with those but for the things that i look for are things that really do translate into um things that can hurt you in your clerkship and also as a professional um there's a nice paper from pop Papadakis, I want to say it wrong, I'm sorry, uh, L, uh, that looked at professionalism um, and also anything else that would lead to you losing your license as a physician. And that professionalism marker, um, those documentations early on of someone that, and I'm not saying that one that gets two pair forms, you're fine, but like one that is like a unsatisfactory in that competency um, led to, it was a significantly correlated to you not, uh, to you losing your license in the future. And those weren't things like, oh, like in undergrad, they like punch somebody. It was more like they relate to a lot of things. They didn't turn in a lot of things. And it's very easy for a lot of students coming in because a lot of come from these big schools. I came from UF that had like 400 for one class. They didn't know you. They don't care exactly. who, when you showed up, just don't like make a ruckus and it's fine. Um, but that's what we're looking for with a class of 50. We get to know you pretty mm -hmm. quick. The Dr. Wrench for those coming up is much better at remembering names than I am. <laughs> like I, I joked, but no, I, the co course director before me too was good with names. But I was like, if it was only me the first week, probably no one would get a pair for him. Cause I'd be like, what's your name again? I don't, I don't know. So um, are you saying it was because of me the first week? Yes, it was all Dr. Wrench's fault. <laughs> Remember Dr. that Wrench. on the record. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Everyone thought it was me. I was like, no, no. She's uh, behind the scenes pulling all the strings. It's like, what all that? Yeah, that's a good soundbite right there. Um, but anyway, it's like, you know, we're looking at those and recording them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that like, oh, game's over because you were late a couple of times. It's just it's for you to know that's not something you can habitually do. And if it's something that happens over and over and over and other courses, that could lead to you going to our SPAC committee, which is our professionalism committee. Um, but generally it needs to be very habitual. And we mm -hmm. try to be very intentional with knowing that that's habitual. And as per that paper, being late, if you're late to like your residency, you can get fired. Um, right. I actually knew somebody. I had a friend I went to uh, college, uh, my PhD with, I, um, and he was getting his MD at that time. He ended up getting a residency. He was late twice, and oh, he wow. uh, parked in the attendings parking lot. And he probably did other things, but like those are the things on the record that they got him for. Um, and uh, they dismissed him. He didn't have a job, and he's an MD without a job, uh, sort of thing. Right. So you know, it can happen. And even if you don't get fired, it's a perception of who you are. Mm -hmm. So if they you know, you're, you're late your first day for your residency. That's who they think you are from then on. Is oh, that's the person that's late all the time, right? Um, so you want to be as much as you can on, on with it because this is this is your future career. Um, same with turning in things, being meticulous about things. Um, dress code. Dress code. And honestly, for me, dress code was just don't wear scrubs outside of the third floor of anatomy right. lab. For us, that was a policy, and it was more just like a, a safety hazard uh, kind of a concern. Um, 
And that's the thing. It's like you're going to have certain expectations depending on where you go. Some might be totally fine with you wearing scrubs everywhere, and some won't. Uh, but mm-hmm. you just have to make sure you're following those rules appropriately. Otherwise, it's, you know, bad things happen. And those bad things typically don't happen in pre-clerkship. This is here to get you those skills before we set you to the clerkship plan. Um, so when we tell you those things, when you get those pair forms, future students, I, I feel like Katie is like worried I'm saying this to her. I'm not saying it no, to you. No, like, like, we are past the pair forms. We're good. Okay. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I, I was like, you're looking like, uh-huh. Yeah. Like, yeah. No. Um, for future students, if you get a, a pair form from Dr. Wrench or Dr. Mashakova, understand that that's just feedback. Um, now, if you get 20 of them and they're all in a row... Yeah, you might get some words. Maybe Dean Pritchett's going to be showing up and talking to you, too. Um, right. But just just keep that in mind. Shout out Dean Pritchett. Um, he's not going to watch it. Listen to this. <laughs> but, like, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I'll we, tell could, we could get him to listen I'm to like, it. your name is mentioned somewhere in this recording. And you must listen. Just an hour and a half. <laughs> in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, anything else with uh, paraform, para professionalism? So why, why was this so... In fundamentals, why was this so controversial, Katie? I, we might have to edit this out. I don't know. I think I, part of it was the misconception that getting a pair form was the end of the world. Sure. Part of sure. it was that. The other part was not fully understanding the reasoning behind why the pair form was given. So, mm. for instance, going to the bathroom during lecture. Mm, yeah, yeah. In our minds, because we've been in undergrad, we've been in other spaces where if you have to go to the bathroom, you just get up and go to the bathroom. Sure. You don't really think, oh, well, that could be disruptive to whoever is lecturing or like we're going to be medical professionals. In surgery, you can't just get up and walk out of right. you know, your surgery. Exactly, like, yeah. You have to talk, you have to pass things off or go during assigned breaks, that kind of thing. And so I think for us, and myself included, because I, I remember someone getting a pair form for going to the bathroom. I was like, mm-hmm. why did you get a pair form for going to the bathroom? Sure, sure. But it was actually explained to me by Dr. Purvis, mm. the reasoning behind why we were getting pair forms for these things. The mask made complete sense. Sure, COVID, sure. got it. Um, and then there was a lot of like back and forth about what we could do in terms of COVID. And none of us really understood what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. Mm. And so that also contributed to it because I think at one point we were like eating and martyr and drinking because they gave us lunch there one time. And then like all of a sudden the rules changed, but some of us didn't know that the rule had changed. And then you get a pair for him and then it's like, oh, I thought, you know, so that I think that was the biggest issue. I think the COVID that was like constantly changing and that was problematic yeah. too. So we, we tried our best to be always informative with it, but yeah, it's, it was, um, honestly, it was like, well, tomorrow might be the day where there's absolutely no mask anymore. And that eventually happened. Um, right. it's like, yeah, you know how I was really much like a hard ass with this. Well, I guess it doesn't now matter fine, now. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was always a, a thing. And I know I was always waiting for it to be like, watch it go away and back and away and back, you know, who knows? And I know with the bathroom one as well, it was never about the bathroom. It was like, for those that are not at an issue, it doesn't really matter. But the lecture hall we use is really loud at, yes. when you close that door. And I can remember a certain professor that that happened. 
It scared the living daylights out of him. I, I mean, oh, I could really? see it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, he jumped when, like, the presentation oh, was going. So it was more that than, yeah, eh, you could go to the bathroom. As long as you use the back. There's a back exit. No one cares. It's not fun. And, and NSUMD, there's a back exit to Martyr that doesn't make that, like, weird suction issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be the route to go. Uh, but, yeah, I could see that that was uh, yeah, controversial, maybe, yeah. But, I don't know, Dr. Wrench, you look, look like you want to say something. No, I just I wanted to add that Dr. Brockman always um, input the perform on Fridays. We call it perform Friday, and I will. Con- oh, okay. I'm gonna continue. Are you gonna continue? Yes, Friday. Oh. I'm gonna continue. It was tiring. I, yes. I bet it was not enjoyable. That was not meant to be a, something of a fun thing. I can tell you that it wasn't a fun Friday. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a it's a thing is that um, there's so many of them, and uh, yeah, important thing. And I've always tried to be good with it. Dr. Wrench was always trying to be good with it, is to tell you in real time as much as possible. Right. And sometimes it's not possible, like in real time, because uh, a lecture is ongoing. I can't just be like over here now, kind of thing. Like, yeah. But like uh, as much as I can, I can be like, hey, you know, you know, you were late. I mean, the late one's easy because if you're walking in late then and you, you see know. me, I'm exactly. like, you know, we're late, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, any food for thought or just a shout out for any future medical student about three weeks in that there is a elementary school that kicks up right next to our school and makes the traffic uh, about a 15 minute delay if you're on time by just a minute for the first two weeks and you plan to do the same thing in three three you're gonna have a bad time you're gonna see dr wrench or dr mashkova with a a watch looking at it like "Eh, yeah i told you yes Um, you know what that means (laughs) yeah yeah and you know but that's something again those things happen Uh, you know it's again you're not gonna fail because you were late because of elementary school like backup but if you continue to be over time, then that yeah, could be a problem. Um, but it's really just to help you when you get into your clerkship because mm-hmm. um, clerkship directors, anyone that's working with you, teaching you should also tell you that, but you're, you're working in a field, right? You're working with other people, uh, nurses, uh, patients. They're not necessarily going to tell you that you were being unprofessional, right? but they will remember you're unprofessional, at least for the patients. Um, all of you, when you graduate, will instantly get like a, a little a Yelp version of med- medicine uh, when you graduate. I checked because all our the recent graduates now have one. Oh, so you can get scary. a five-star review, a one-star review. And if they think you're, you're late and they're just like, I don't I want to, you know, most people only do those if they want to be grumpy. Right. So, oh, yeah, that's so scary. That, and that's yeah. the world of everything now but it's definitely for you and you know you definitely don't want that to be something that haunts you because of something you can avoid at least like that right. um yeah i will say like with the pair forms one thing that i wish mm-hmm. is that we would get more accolades i think yeah. that would help a lot with just because when we think of pair forms yes the a stands for accolades nobody looks at a pair form as an as an accolade <laughs> Like, yeah. we all look at it as this negative thing. So maybe that's something, like, with the faculty to just encourage, like, not giving them out like candy, like you said. But, yeah. you know, sometimes it would be nice to get a pair for them and be like, oh, look, it's like a good thing. That's a good you know? point. Um, I think that's something that us as a faculty can get better at, maybe mm-hmm. with training about, like, what counts as a, an accolade. I think it's um, from a student perspective, like, the pair version, like, the professionalism part is, like, 
they're subtle things sometimes, like a mm-hmm. minute late or two minutes late or whatever it might be. Uh, but with an accolade, I think from the our perception, it has to be something that's like above standards. Like big. Like, yeah, not necessarily out, you know, above and beyond, but like at least exceeds the general expectations. Like we're not going to give a pair for him because you you passed a course, but right. like it needs to be something where you've demonstrated this. Uh, but I agree because like for us, anytime we were told something by a faculty that was particularly salient, we go, like, yeah, we should <laughs> make a, an accolade for that. Um, and I will say that um, usually I, I think they'll always make it through like student affairs or whoever will notify you of them. Um, but they're th- there. I think that's how the process goes. <laughs> I need to double check that. Um, but yeah, it is something I think that's worth like noting even like some sort of better process for that. We're like literally hashing out curriculum reform while we're right. in this podcast. <laughs> um, so no promises uh, M1, incoming M1 year. But um but yeah, yeah, that could be something that could be done. It would be nice, I think, to give more shout outs to students because all of you Definitely. are amazing students. Like you are very impressive. Um, and yeah, I think it doesn't get like said enough. Mm-hmm. So you're, I think that's right. We're saying on the podcast, hopefully you listen this long. So far, pretty much only Brad listened this long. So shout out to Brad. Uh, he's an M4. I don't know if you, but oh. he's, okay. I can't believe we didn't get on this um, podcast, but you know, he also probably, I don't know if he was a, uh, a fan of, of the M1 year or not, but I mean, I don't know. He's doing well. What is? I think he's. Sorry, Brad. I forgot what you're doing. I'm just rambling now. Surgery? No. Internal medicine? I don't know. Let me know. You're gonna uh, get angry emojis. I know. He's gonna like give me like a <laughs> like a one star review or something. Um, I'm sorry, Brad, because you're like you're our, you're our only loyal <laughs> listener, but. Uh, He's the only one that you're the only one that listened this far, so don't worry. Um, so anyway, to wrap things up, though, we have a couple, like a, a nine more minutes or so before we gotta go. Um, you are now almost an M two, so that's exciting, right? Crazy, yeah. Um, I think uh, what you're doing research this summer. I think you're doing it with Dr. Griffin. Yes. Um, but I guess as you're coming close to the end of this M one year, are there any other items, any other salient things you'd like to mention or say, like what you've learned along the way, um, anything like that? Um, yeah, I I don't know if there's anything salient to mention. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just been a blur. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's definitely been a blur. I think I feel like there should be like an M one and an M one point five because I feel like the <laughs> one point five happens like starting in January where you actually do other things outside of just going to class every day. That's fair and studying. Yeah. Um, but I I think the experience has it, it's just been a wild ride. Like, you know, but I think for all of the incoming class of 2026, if you're coming to NSUMB or any other medical school, like just keep in mind that there are going to be days where you're going to question everything. There are going to be days where you're going to be like, why did I do this? I shouldn't have done this. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Imposter syndrome is real. But if you have gotten an acceptance and you are matriculating into a program, you're there for a reason. And just make sure that you enjoy everything that you can possibly enjoy while you're in medical school, including the studying. I mean, you're learning cool stuff. It's a lot of stuff and it's stressful, but at the end of the day, like you're learning things that happen to actual people. And like, I'm a big Grey's Anatomy and House fan. So now that I watch Grey's Anatomy, I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And and it's cool, it's exciting. So like, just don't forget the little things. in terms of the M1.5, part of your M1 year, you know, you'll start 
approaching faculty for research opportunities and especially at NSUMB, like I'm actually blown away with how many projects I'm on at this current moment. Like, I'm gonna play that back to the LCME when they yes. visit. I'm like, hey, she's blown away by the project. Just saying, I'm, can we submit sound bites to the DCI? Probably not, but anyway, I'm glad Just, to hear though. Yes, like, <laughs> like it, it's it's wild. I, I was expecting the summer project and that was gonna be it, but even in my summer project, I'm like kind of doing two things. Cool, So that's great. that'll be fun for you to look at um, at the RISE conference, we'll see. Um, but I, I just think that NSU MD specifically does a great job with preparing their students for what's to come and making us better professionals and making sure that we'll be great physicians. And that's what I've heard from the M4s and the people that have worked with the M4s that are now doctors. And we've done really well with the M4s. I don't know if it gets advertised enough, but they all matched and Yay. all went to the very competitive. I mean, depends on what you think is competitive, but they all went to the specialties they wanted to. Mm -hmm. They went to very prestigious institutions. Almost all of them, I think, went to their first choice. I mean, some went to alternative choices, um, but they all seem pretty happy for the, whole, the most part. So that's good. And like I said, uh, our original hosts are... Uh, out to pasture because they are doing those residencies they sought out to do um, I always wonder maybe we can get them like virtually or some point um, it's always like that Dunning-Kruger effect but like the more nuanced one where you're like you go down and up and you're like it's great I'm up but then you go down again because mm -hmm. like residency is a new game right. yeah I, we should definitely get them their perspectives because they were at the top of the M4 you know the food chain for the medical school I'm they're not a be back at that bottom again, uh, but they're going to be great. I expect all of them to do amazing things, um, but yeah, maybe another time. Uh, but anyway, um, I think uh, Dr. Wrench, is there any concluding remarks with fundamentals? Anything you want to talk about? I, she mentioned imposter syndrome. I know that's the kind yes, of the thing you work on. That might be another uh, podcast topic we so, need yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I just want to tell the incoming class that it's not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard, but you are going to have the tools and the resources that are needed for you to do well. Mm -hmm. And you also have to be organized, manage your time properly. And that's something you're going to have to learn to do because it's going to be a different ballpark that you may have been used to in undergrad or any other graduate program that you might have done before coming to NSDMD. But we're here to support. And as a course director, um, my door is always open for any questions or any advice that you might be needing or any questions that are related to the course and we're here to support and to make sure that you can do the best of your abilities to to do well in the course and in medical school overall and remember it is pass fail uh so even though you might be discouraged like oh i just barely pass or whatever you still pass there's not like a barely pass system we don't like score in that any way like that we don't keep track of the specific breakdown of those pass fails it's pass or fail that's it um and for your scores um so what i'm trying to say is that you might feel like oh i wish i had these x certain numbers or something i wish i had 100 percent. i've had students come by and say how do i turn this 90 percent nvme score to 100 percent i'm like, oh, wow. I'm like I think if you did, then I'd just just take the step one exam. If you're getting 100 percent every time, cool. Um, but that's not really how this works. It's okay that you don't know everything. Um, it, as long as you are learning how to understand, how to get better, that's the idea. Uh, we really, I, I heard it actually, the, shout out to IMC, uh, someone say this there, um, was that, you know, we're not expecting students to come with 100% competency when they graduate with medical knowledge. We expect them to understand, like, for the step one, for example, 60% of that knowledge. And then they should be able to have the 
foresight to understand that they don't know the other 40 percent and how to go about understanding that independently and that is what makes a good physician or anyone in higher academia is that you're again seeking to understand that material all of you as long as you put that effort in and i mean i can't guarantee anything but as long as you put an effort in you seek who help where you need it the course directors i can't stress that enough dr wrench is there to help you dr mashakova is there to help you I didn't ask her, but I assume she is. Yeah, yes. yeah, she's probably going to help <laughs> she you. Is. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're there to help you. So is student affairs. So is everyone else here. Your peers, the opera division group, they're here to help you succeed. So it's a team thing. Um, figure out what works for you. And as long as you're willing to do what you need to, you'll probably be okay. Um, and, you know, it'll be fine either way. But <laughs> um, okay, so I think this pretty much wraps up the fundamentals one. Um, I think uh, going forward, uh, Katie, we mentioned before we recorded this, and maybe you would want to be a host for this. Cause Shout out to me being a host on the future podcast. Hashtag, I can't think of a good hashtag. Katie hosts uh, Sickers. Hey. My, okay. my kids used to call me K Dog. K Dog? Wow, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that does sound like a radio shock jock kind of thing. But okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. We need to find someone else, though. I think. Um, Maybe a, a hyper fervent Anki person, or maybe that's dangerous. I don't know, but that, that's that's <laughs> we like we argue all the time. It's fine. That's like forty five of the fifty one, right? <laughs> so it's like yes. not hard to find. But maybe we can find someone else. So you can, uh, you two can run that. Um, you know, for anyone still listening, Brad, thank you. Uh, it, the idea with I think the next couple of episodes is we're going to run through all the different courses that we teach. Maybe touching on the different elements. Every course has like these nice salient points. You mentioned kind of like the M one Five. Mm-hmm. Once you hit uh, the second semester, things kind of kick it up a notch, I think. Yes. And that's something I think we can talk about then as well. Um, also, things like heme is only like a three-week course, but it can be deceptively oh, scary yeah. and hard. Oh, so yes. it's all those kind of things. Um, so uh, probably speaks mostly to uh, NSUMD students, but you know we're going to be touching on other topics like that. Uh, the hopefully are relevant to everyone else nationwide. I don't know if we even get anyone nationwide, but that'd be cool. Thought that'd be very cool. Yeah, nah, share <laughs> yes. it. Hash, um, NSUMD students, share this. Whatever, make it popular. Um, but also, I think I said this in the last episode, but the recording wasn't that great. Um, if you're interested in taking this as an elective, M4 students that are looking maybe in the spring, we would love for you to take this as elective and have some episodes yourself. Uh, K-Dog, is that what it is? K-Dog, K-Dog, yeah. K-Dog it would be uh, happy probably to co-host alongside you um, and whoever else we find or sucker into doing this. So <laughs> thank you for agreeing to be part of this podcast. And, oh, wait, we have to do the sign-off thing. I th- I'm contemplating just pulling old sound bites of Samantha for the sink or swim thing. But don't worry, everyone, entering into M- the M1 year for class of 2026. Man, I'm getting old. Um, you will definitely swim not sink you might feel like it at first but just tread water eventually you'll figure out how to swim just fine and cue samantha play out song now okay perfect all right see ya